Revelation chapter 22, this is it. This is the very last chapter in the entire Bible. And it's going to end the same way that the whole Bible began, because at the very beginning it says, in the beginning, God. That's how it starts. There was God before there was anything, because he's creator. He's always existed. And then by his creativity, by his foreknowledge, by everything, he created and established this world whereby he put a man and a woman in a garden and he had a relationship with them he was connected with them that's the way he created people was to be connected to him and yet people starting with adam and eve and continuing all throughout history and including you and me as we've come out of the womb we've had this disease called sin where we are so selfish and prideful and arrogant and rebellious that we constantly want to do our own thing, be our own king, be our own leader, do what we want to do all the time. And so we do not follow God and we have resisted him. And yet God throughout the span of the Bible from those opening words in the beginning, God all the way through has so loved you and I and all of humanity that he had a plan to redeem us from sin and redeem us from eternal death and destruction. And so he sent his son, Jesus, who is God, he put on flesh and he walked on those Palestinian streets. And he walked on a sea. And He fed thousands of people out of a lunch that a boy brought to the hillside and he preached to them with authority and he cast out demons and he did all these miracles. But there was one day when he did the greatest thing, and that was he went up the hill of Calvary on to a cross and he bled out and died, having been executed by the Romans. And he took the place of death for you and me, he said, I will take Jason's place. The death that he deserves because of his sin, I will die for him. And he was taken from that cross and laid into a tomb three days later because death cannot hold him. He is God all powerful. He came back to life and then he's gone out with that message of good news to anybody who would listen. And that good news is this. That if you believe that he died in your place and that he would forgive you of your sins, you just say, I believe. Forgive me, Lord. He does this miracle in your heart where you come away from being the rebellious person and you come in to be the submissive person. You say, I submit my sin. I submit life and I want to be yours. And in that moment, it's all gone. Your sin is gone and you are guilt free. You are forgiven and you are placed out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And so that's what we're talking about, is that it starts with in the beginning, God, and he has gone out on this whole plan to redeem a people who had betrayed him. But he saves them and forgives you. And now he comes. And at the very end, the whole point is that he brings those people to himself. It started with God and it ends with God. The whole thing has been about God. And so Revelation chapter 22, just like Genesis one, ends with God. And what he has done and what he will do. So we were going to start this chapter. It's absolutely beautiful. Again, this is prophetic language. It's sometimes hard to kind of conceptualize and understand. But it's a beautiful picture of what will be when he creates this city, this new Jerusalem, where he will live with his people. It says here in verse one of chapter 22, then the angel showed me again. This is John writing. He's receiving this vision. So the angel shows John the river 
of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So that's amazing. And in fact, this isn't the first time in Scripture where it's described this river of life. It says here that it's flowing out from the very throne of Jesus, that from that place is this river that goes whoosh and just goes flowing out. In the book of Ezekiel, it describes the same river that's flowing out of the temple of God, and it goes out and it meanders and goes, and just everything that wants to live is in that body of water. Ezekiel describes it as everything that's thriving and everything that's being fed and nourished is in that river. The book of Isaiah talks about how in the midst of the desert where there should be no water, suddenly comes these springs of water where where there was desolation. Suddenly there is vegetation. It's just absolutely gorgeous what this river of life does where there once had been no life. And in fact, For every person on the world where there once was no life because we were in rebellion against God and in our sin and headed towards death. He then does something where he saves you. And he begins that. Spring of the water of life in your heart. So this is talking about something future where in that city of God out from God is this constant sustaining river of life. Bright and clear as crystal. And I want you to picture how beautiful that is. Now, for some of you, you have this thing that you do in your normal life that's very similar to what we're doing now. You work your job, you go through what you're going through, but you have planned a week or two out in the future where you're going on vacation, right? And in your mind, you have set apart this place that you're going to on vacation that's absolutely beautiful. And a lot of you have heard you love to go on these cruises out to the Caribbean, right? And there's something that's amazing about that water in the Caribbean. You go out on those white, sandy beaches, you look off and you can see to the bottom. It's like crystal clear. It's just beautiful. You can go to other places in the world where you see that crystal clear water. I remember um, the man who discipled me in high school. He, 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 he would read the Bible with me and taught me a lot. And this one time he said, you want to go on a hike up in the mountains outside of Seattle? I said, sure. So we drive about an hour outside the city and we, we get on these trails And we walk and we meander through the forest and we finally get up to these alpine lakes. And uh, he said, I'm just I'm just going to hunker down over there on the side of the lake and read my Bible. You're welcome to do whatever. So I kind of went off on my own with my Bible and I ended up on this huge. It was probably a boulder as big as this stage up here. And I I got on top of the boulder and I just kind of walked to the edge and I looked down and I'm on the edge of this alpine lake. And I'll never forget what it looked like. The lake looked like nothing. (laughs) That's what it looked like. I could look straight through that lake and look right to the bottom of the lake as as clear as crystal. It was absolutely pure. And yet under that lake, you could see these fish around and and this this. I mean, it was just beautiful and life giving. And it just fed my soul to realize how wonderful God had made that place. And you with your vacation, you set up this little picture. Maybe you have a brochure and you're like. Look at that place. It's absolutely gorgeous. What God is setting up for us here is a brochure. He's saying, this is the ultimate place of rest I have for you. You are going to be with me and I will be with you. But look at it. It'll be life sustaining. It'll be pure as crystal because I've made you new. There's going to be no sorrow, no pain, no death, no sin, nothing to cause you problems. It's going to be awesome. And he gives us this little glimpse 
of this crystal flowing water coming out. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. Just like vacation sounds good. Like, I need that rest. I got to get away. I got to get into that crystal water of the Caribbean or up to those mountain lakes. That thing, future, is so good. And let me tell you what Jesus is saying here about the New Jerusalem and this crystal river flowing out, this river of life, is really good. But it's not just future. Jesus, while he was on earth, this one day, he had entered into an area called Samaria. And while he sat by a well, there was this woman who came at that time who came also to draw water. We call her the Samaritan woman. Now, at that time, a Jewish man was not to talk to a Samaritan woman. And so it was an odd conversation to start with. And while they're sitting by the well, Jesus asked the, asked the woman um, if she wants some water. And she says, you have nothing to to get water with. He says, this water is living water that I give you. If anybody drinks of this, they'll never thirst again. This is how he describes it. Everyone who drinks of this water in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Here's this woman who culturally, ethnically, and by her lifestyle have been, has been completely abandoned by society. All the other Samaritans had already been to the well when it was cooler in the day. She had to go by herself to be alone in the middle of the day. Her life was a wreck. She was full of sin, full of sorrow, full of heartache. And in that conversation, Jesus comes and says to her, hey, look, if you drink the water that I'm going to give to you, if you let me change your life, you will come out, have come out of you this spring of life giving water that will nourish you. Now, it wasn't something she could give herself. Jesus had to give it to her. Right. And you see on that day, this woman go from a really hard place into a place of being accepted and loved. And you know what she does? She can't hold on to the message in this life for herself. She runs from that place, goes and tells everybody else in town, and they come out to see for themselves. And the entire town comes and places their faith in Jesus. They are experiencing the life-giving water of Jesus in their life. Just a couple chapters later in the book of John as well, Jesus goes to this big holiday in Jerusalem. And while he's there, he says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's almost the same exact message that he tells to the woman at the Samaritan well. He says, if anybody's thirsty, you come to me and, and drink. If you believe that I can save you, you drink that good news and I will give you life. See, vacation in Jesus isn't something future. He wants to give you relief now. He wants to give you freedom in your life now. He wants to take you out of that pitiful, awful, sinful, death-filled, selfish, prideful, arrogant life that you're living now. And he wants to put you into one where you will never, ever be the same. It is life-giving. It is pure. It is precious. It is pure as crystal. And yes, that'll come out of his throne in the future. But right now, as he gives you the good news and you come to faith, it starts up as a spring of water that helps in your heart. And it tastes good and pure and it nourishes. 
If you're thirsty, drink of Jesus. He goes on in John 7 there and says, Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given to people because Jesus was not yet glorified. When you come to faith in Jesus, you say, oh man, the future is going to be so good. Jesus puts a deposit of vacation, of that goodness in your heart now. It's called the Holy Spirit. And one day we will dwell with him in a city, but right now he dwells in you to nourish you all the time by the Spirit. And so in Revelation, we see this great river of living water coming out of the throne. I can't wait to see that, but right now we get to see that and I enjoy the Holy Spirit in my life, I really do. It goes on and says this, though, that on either side of the river, this is again Revelation chapter 22, in the middle of verse 2, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So here's this river that's coming out of the throne. I can't actually imagine even what that looks like. Anytime there's a leak in my house, I'm like, that's bad. Okay, in Jesus house, here's this river of life going and it's good. But more than that, as it comes out, it says that there's this tree of life and it's actually on both sides of the river. I can't even make out what that looks like. Except somehow, I don't know, it sounds like more of a Disneyland ride to me or something. But here's this tree that spans this river and is on both sides. What he's saying is when you're by the river, you're also by the tree. And this tree just keeps giving and giving and giving. You're hungry, it gives. It has monthly this harvest, this fruit that comes off it every month. I'm sure Mr. Marshall down at Lee's Produce would love to have tomato plants to give tomatoes every month, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's a lot of work, but yeah. (laughs) And it says the leaves are healing for the nations. Here you have this tree that is just good, good, and just goes on forever. For eternity. This is the tree of life. The tree of life. Now the tree of life has a history in the Bible. When you rewind the tape. And go all the way back. Into Genesis chapter 2. It says that God put Adam and Eve in the garden. And in that garden he said they could eat of any tree that's in the garden. And there he put two trees as well. The tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says to Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree that's in the garden, but you may not eat of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in that day, you'll be surely doomed to die. Well, we know that story. The serpent came in, deceived Eve. She ate the fruit, gave it to her husband. He ate the fruit and death entered into them. At that point, they were doomed to die and they did die. But God in that moment also said, You must leave the Garden of Eden. And in that moment, he also put a cherub there and defended the way back to the tree of life. Because God said, lest they reach out their hand, take the fruit of the tree of life and live forever. Now, in that moment, it seems kind of odd. Well, doesn't God want us to live forever? We're always hearing about eternal life. Why would he not want them to then take that fruit, eat of it and live forever? And the reason is this. It's because at that moment they were living with sin. They were living with the effects of sin, pain, sorrow, all those things, all the things that you and I experience because of sin. And God knew that if they ate of it in that moment, they would have an eternity living a life of tragedy. 
He had to come and redeem and make them new so that they, when we, they became a redeemed and a person who knew no sin through Jesus Christ, that they would live a life of eternity that's good. And so he's held off from giving people the tree of life at this time, but we've been promised in the scripture that that day when Jesus comes and takes us home, that we will go. And at that time, because we've overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ, that he will give his people the opportunity to eat of the tree of life and we will live forever, not in tragedy, but we'll live forever in life. We will live. And this tree of life has had a history. And right now he is withholding the opportunity for people to eat of it. Because first he's saving them and putting them into a good place of right standing with God. And he's putting them into a place of having his Holy Spirit and a place of peace. And he wants us to live forever in that way. Not forever in our sin. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I do a lot of stupid, sinful things. And a lot of times I just say, that's not that bad. No, it's bad. It's bad. The littlest of my sin is bad. And the littlest of my sin causes me to spiral down and down and down and down and down. God didn't want that little whirlpool for forever. But rather, he snatched me out of my problem. He told me of what he did for me on the cross. And he forgave my sin. And now he's placed me into himself and into his eternity. And now he has me on a trajectory of eternal goodness, not eternal peril. For all of us. He doesn't want us to eat of the tree of life and then go on forever. Despicable. He wants us to live and really live, live abundant. To eat of that tree month after month after month and be in a good place. At that time, we won't know any sin. It'll only be Jesus and us going, and he is very, very good. It goes on and talks about how good he is. It says in verse three, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Maybe the hardest thing in all of the book of Revelation for us to actually understand and picture was that phrase, no longer will there be anything accursed. A river of life that's pure as crystal coming out of the throne, it's hard for me to imagine. A tree of life that is on either side of that river that has a harvest every month and heals the nations with its leaves. Hard to imagine. But the hardest thing for you and I to imagine is a life where there's nothing accursed. Why? Because we live in a world that has accursed things all the time. We've gotten numb to it. But when you see the turmoil of the nations and you see what's going on in the midst of our society and societies all over the world where there is war and riots and anger and and just the the the, the awful way we treat one another. Amen. And everybody thinks that's just over in the streets in some city. No, it happens in your house. Yeah. 
Think of the way that you treat the people in your house. I can't believe sometimes the way I treat my family. Why is that happening? Because of sin in the world, everything's accursed. You see, you've never experienced one second of your life where this world doesn't have the problem of being accursed. And so there's constant struggle among humanity. We're just wicked and evil through and through. The problem with society isn't the people over there that are causing problems. It's you. You're part of it. And me. We're still living with sin. And so the hardest thing to imagine in that time that's to come, there won't be sin. We've never, ever experienced that. There will be a day when there will be nothing accursed. And if you go into that city, you will enter in through gates of pearl, it says. You will walk on a street that's a golden street. It's so, so pure, it's clear. And you could walk right into that place and you could go right up to the throne room and you could be given entrance to the throne room into the most holy place where God himself sits on that throne. You could stand there face to face with him. And that never before could be done except Jesus made it possible. That the king left that throne room and king died on that cross so he could snatch you up and take you home and that you could do all those things and you want to be in a place where there's no, no sin at all. And when you enter into that kingdom in that place, the tables will be turned on this life. It's been all about you. When in reality, it's all about Jesus. And when you get to that place and you walk in, you recognize that everything points at him. The road goes to him. You follow the river back. It goes to him. You trace the tree of life. It's all about him. And here it says, if you need a light, you don't need to go get a lamp. You don't need to go get a flashlight. You go to Jesus. He is the light. You want to see who everybody's talking about? It's him. You want to see who they're worshiping, what they care about? It's him. It's not the latest gadget. It's not the latest news gossip. It is Jesus. It is all, all, all about Jesus. When you are in eternity, it's all about Jesus. Everything Jesus. The reality is, it's already about Jesus. That day will come and we'll see it clearly. But right now, you have to ask yourself that question. Am I, is my life about Jesus? If your life is about Jesus for one hour a week on Sundays. There needs to be some serious conversations between you and God and you, your, your question to him should be this. Do you know me? Jesus says there will be people on that day when he comes back. And they'll be like, it's time to go in. And he'll say, I don't know you. And they'll say, well, what do you mean we don't know you? We talked about you every Sunday. I, I took money and I put it into the plate. I even gave the pastor a suggestion on what to preach. I had my photo in the church directory. I sang in the choir. I had a heart sister. I gave her gifts. First of all, the Lord will be like, dude, why did you have a heart sister? But Jesus says he'll look at them and say, I 
never knew you. What was the, what was the problem? The problem was it wasn't everything Jesus now. The problem was you were doing all the extracurricular things, but in your heart, it wasn't ever about Jesus. You never came to that point of saying, I surrender all. In that kingdom to come, there's going to be a city in the new heaven, the new earth. It's Jesus right at the center. But right now, I don't want you to think about the city to come. I want you to think about your heart. Think about your heart as a city. The scripture described right now, if you know Jesus, that Jesus should be on the throne of your heart. And out of that throne, there should already be a spring of the river of life coming out of your heart, the Holy Spirit. And that in your heart, the city that beats in your chest. Psalm chapter one says you will already be planted by a stream day and night meditating on the word of God. You're already feeding from his good word like it's a tree of life. On that day when you stand before Jesus, will he look at you and say, I know you. I know your name and I know I saved you. And here's here's a name. It says he'll write his name on our forehead. That's his mark that we're owned and he'll invite you into his kingdom. Will he say, I know you? Or on that day, as he says, will he look at you and say, I never knew you. And the words that come after that. Are harsh but they are a just judgment on them. He says, depart from me. And he cast them into outer darkness. The scripture says either Jesus knows you and you are given eternal life or he does not know you and you are destroyed. And you can't make that decision at the gates of the new Jerusalem. The, the decision happens in pews today. The decision happens in these moments in this life because then it's too late. Does Jesus know you? People often wonder, well, isn't it? Shouldn't I know Jesus? Certainly Jesus knows me already. Most all of you know the president of the United States. If you showed up at his gates, would he know you? No, he'd say, I don't know them. Why is this guy trying to climb over the over the gates? Throw him in jail. You get before Jesus, you won't be able to climb that gate and just kind of make your way in. I say, I don't I don't know. I don't know you. Does he sit on the center of the throne of your heart? Does he know you? See everything. If you don't like that, you're not going to like eternity much. It's all about Jesus. Everything Jesus. It's not for a pastor to come around and say, certainly this person and this person, and this person know Jesus. It's person to person that Jesus looks into the heart and says, I know that one. I know that one. I know that one. And if Jesus looks into your heart right now and you know, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that. I'm not saved. Today's a good day to cry out and say, Lord, save me, forgive me, be my everything. If you are a believer, you already know Jesus, but you've kind of shoved him out to the side. Right now is a good time to say, nope, right now, be the center of my life, be my everything. Take up the throne again. I have tried to wiggle my way under that throne. 
make my own decisions, do my own thing. Give Jesus his rightful place back as your king. Give him back that place of authority. And then on a, on a daily basis, you're saying, lead me, Lord, wherever you want me to go. You want me to run back to the city and tell them how good you are, how you saved me? Sure. Be like the woman at the well. You want to be like a, 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 an early day missionary like Paul who says, all right, you saved my life. I will go anywhere in the world you want me to go. And go. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, you do it. Because he's the center of your life. We're going to take a, a moment. I'm going to um, teach you a song. And it's all about Jesus being the center uh, of your life. It's a simple song. You'll, you'll pick it up pretty quick. And uh, the urge is going to be this. To sing. But my recommendation is not to sing. Or not, not just to simply sing. But to be. Let it be your actual prayer. Because if we just sing, God's going to be like, hmm. But if we sing, that's our prayer. Oh, man, he wells up with emotion and joy himself. It pleases him. And it, it will bless us to be under his pleasure. So take a moment as we sing or as I sing, and you're welcome to join in as you want. You're welcome to come down and pray here at the front if you want to unload all your cares on the Lord if you want to come and repent before him. You need to take that time to just say, Lord, I need to make you the center again. Then take the chance right now to do that. Let this be our communal prayer as we close out today in the scripture that the Lord is on that throne in that good place with that good river and that good tree. He's also in the place of our heart right now. This is called Be the Sinner. Jesus, be the center, be my source, be my life, Jesus. Jesus, be the center, be my source, be my light, Jesus. Jesus, be the center, be my hope, be my song, Jesus. Jesus, be the center, be my hope, be my song, Jesus. Be the fire in my heart, be the wind in these sails, be the reason that I live, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, be my vision. 
my path, be my guide, Jesus. Jesus, be my vision, be my path, be my guide, Jesus. Be the fire in my heart, be the wind in these sails, be the reason that I live, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Be the fire in my heart, be the wind in these sails, be the reason that I live, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus.